0: And the extra point is good.
1: Welcome in to Extra Point here on KDOS AM 1060. As always, follow along with us online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortellaro here with you up until 1 o'clock today, as we typically do Mondays, Wednesdays. This week, no Thursday. But back with you on Friday for Friday Spread brought to you by Von Hansen's Meats and Spirits. We'll take your phone calls today, 1130 and 1215, 602-260-1060 is the phone number. Uh, college football playoff rankings, the second to last one has been released yesterday. We'll dive into that here uh, as part of the poll questions momentarily and heavy into college football in hour number two. We'll also get into reaction from the Arizona Cardinals coordinators meeting, the media and other things that have caught our attention around the world of the NFL so let's get things started by setting the scene with today's poll questions and we'll start with the kdos 1060.com poll question should Georgia still be ranked ahead of Michigan in the college football playoff rankings uh Bob had a very in-depth College football conversation with Pete Futek from collegefootballnews.com. And if you missed the interview, you can always podcast it over at KDOS1060.com. But the masses for the question are on the yes side of things at 70% of the vote, no trailing at 30%. Yeah,
0: there was some speculation. I don't know if it was just generated by ESPN to try to get some more ratings for last night or whatever. I don't think that too many people thought really that Georgia should not be ranked ahead of Michigan even after Michigan beat Ohio State for a third consecutive year. But you know, certainly, if you watched any ESPN during the day yesterday, seemingly every five minutes it was, will Michigan be ranked ahead of Georgia, etc.?" And as it turned out, uh, they, they weren't. And Georgia is still number one.
1: We will officially provide our answer around 1230 today. So still plenty of time for you to cast your vote. Let's toss it on over to Twitter at KDOS AM 1060 for the U of A. Should they be ranked higher than 15th in the college football playoff rankings? No continues to be out in front at 66.7% of the vote. Yes, trailing at 33.3%. They did finish the year nine and three.
0: And they're the second-highest team with three uh, losses in the the rankings last night. Only uh, number 13 LSU uh, with three losses is ranked higher.
1: That is correct. So we will also officially answer that question around 1230 today. As I previously mentioned, your phone calls, if you'd like to chime in, around 1130 and 1215 in the number 602-260-1060. The Arizona Cardinals... They're sitting at 2-10 on the season. They're setting for their preparations against the Steelers in Pittsburgh this week. But first, some transactional news uh, you had from yesterday that the team released running back Keontae Ingram. Ingram drafted in 2022 in the sixth round. He was inactive in Sunday's game. This year, eight games for him, 35 carries, 74 yards. So now the running back room consists of James Conner, Amari Dee Mercado and Michael Carter, who they claimed off of waivers from the Jets a couple of weeks ago.
0: Yeah, basically, you've got a professional in James Conner. You've got a guy that wasn't drafted in De Mercado, and you got a guy that was you know, basically on waivers in the NFL and uh, two weeks ago. So that's the running back room now. You know, the Ingram thing, I mentioned this during the sports zone, but maybe people don't admit that. You know, shame on you. If you did, it's a tremendous one-hour of radio broadcasting where I just kind of ramble on sometimes, which I am right now. Uh, but Ingram, the, he was that was believed to be a Cliff Kingsbury pick, and uh, I don't think we really blame this one on Steve Kime as opposed to most of the other bad picks in the last 10 years or on Kime. Uh, but Kingsbury, when he was still the head coach at Texas A&M, Ingram was one of the most highly recruited running backs in college football, and apparently flirted with going to Texas Tech. Uh, Did I say Texas A&M earlier? I might get Texas A&M on the brain. But when Kingsbury was at Texas Tech, uh, Ingram was one of the highest-rated running backs in high school and, and almost ended up going, apparently, to Texas Tech. Went to Texas, and then he transferred to USC, and Kingsbury and Ingram were together for a short period of time uh with uh with usc remember after kingsbury got fired at texas tech he was hired as a offensive coordinator at usc for like a month and then suddenly became the cardinals head coach so that's uh, that whole thing bottom line ingram was believed to be a cliff kingsbury selection in that draft
1: uh, you call it a month. I call it about a nanosecond. Uh, you know, wh- whichever there for for Kingsbury's somewhere
0: Oops. in between there. I don't. Know, I don't have the exact time frame. So, I'm, nanosecond sounds better to me. So I'm, I'll go for that.
1: All right. Fair enough. Uh, but in general, uh, you know, we've been through it before in previous shows, just going through the list of, of draft picks selected by uh, Steve Kime and within the last five years. And you would like to start to see some of those players, you know, on their second contract with the team making some uh, pivotal Impact And that's just not been the case. And so that's just the, the status of where things are at with this Cardinals roster. And uh, Monty Austin, Fort, Jonathan Gannon, and crew are coming in and going to be reshaping yeah. this roster. And I
0: don't think there's any big surprise. I mean, it's almost literally almost a daily roster move, at least one. There were three yesterday. Uh, but yeah, Ingram's the one that the people I think know his name, at least. And he's a skilled player. Uh, At least they thought he was going to be a skilled player. He's a skilled player who didn't really display many skills, quite frankly. And to me, I'm really surprised because I would would not be surprised. uh, He's going to land somewhere in the NFL. I would not be surprised if he were a capable backup running back somewhere. I just think he's been misused here, quite frankly, including in the passing game because he's an excellent receiver.
1: Yeah, I thought that they would find some ways to get him out in space, and maybe that's more of what Kingsbury had envisioned as opposed to what this offense is trying to do.
0: Yeah, I remember we went to the, one of the practices two years ago, which was you know, the first time I'd seen Ingram live. And I remember you know, turning to you at that practice and talking about, and this guy can really catch the ball. And you can just tell he had natural pass-catching ability. And uh, they, they you know, really Kingsbury last year, and then this year with the new coaching staff and everything going on there, uh, he never really got much of a chance to display that what appeared, appeared to be a pretty obvious skill that he had.
1: Uh, the other bit of transactional news coming this morning here is that the team has officially designated offensive lineman uh, Elijah Wilkinson to return from IR. So he has his 21-day window open. Not, I don't know how much that will bolster the offensive line, but uh, that is at least something to monitor as there has been, you know, offensive line injuries so far this season.
0: Well, yeah, he was, there's a reason he was a starter because, you know, I don't, I don't disagree that he was probably good enough to be a starter on this team, but it's not like uh, the two guys that have come and replaced him since have been any good. And, you yeah, know, left guard, I think it's safe to say, has not exactly uh, been a strong suit for the Cardinals offense this year, no matter who's playing that position.
1: When it comes to takeaways from the coordinators who met the media yesterday, some things that caught my attention from offensive coordinator Drew Petzing. I think everybody wants to know this, right? What went wrong after the opening drive on Sunday? Petzing's response here uh, consistency is a big thing. We are always going to be striving for it on offense, individually and collectively. So, certainly, really pleased with some of the things we did on that first drive and frustrated we weren't able to keep that momentum going. I think it was a little bit of everything execution. was scheme it was all those different things some of the things they did on defense but certainly not the way we wanted to continue after that first drive so got to find a way to fix that Um, in addition to that I think You and I had discussed it in real time and noticed it that James Conner for still in that first half and in some pivotal key series where the game was not out of hand, he was just standing on the sideline with his helmet on. So the question here was, to Petsing, did you reflect back and say to yourself, did you wish you would have gotten James Conner more involved? And he said, I certainly wish in that game I would have given James more opportunities to impact the game. I think looking back on it, look at what happened, how the game played out i think obviously score flow of the game plays into that at some point obviously the lack of success and lack of plays certainly limit that opportunity and then being behind you get into a situation where you have to throw the ball based on time left on the clock possessions left in the game but he is he's one of our best players he's playing at a high level so need to get him and keep him involved
0: duh yeah that's my reaction to that part the first part of this question. Uh, the reason that they didn't continue the success after the first drive is, yeah, many teams get off to good starts with their scripted plays and so forth. So maybe they, maybe that played a role. I think more importantly, uh, let's face it, the Cardinals' offensive line is not good. And they could not block the Rams. And uh, that's the biggest reason. And to me, it wasn't terribly surprising, quite frankly. I picked the Rams to win the game, and I think they'd win by 100 but I was, you know, I was confident enough that I, the pool that I'm in where we pick college and pro games, you have to pick three two-point games every week, and one of the three two-point games was the Rams uh, beating the Cardinals last weekend, so I wasn't terribly surprised. As far as the Connor thing, what I didn't understand, I listened to this this morning, and I was, you know, Connor's a really good pass blocker and a really good pass catcher, so it should make he should be even more valuable if they're behind the game maybe not by 100 points and you know he's had some injury issues not just this year in his career so maybe that's why he didn't play but he should not be playing uh the reason he shouldn't be playing is because they're behind in a game he's certainly a better pass blocker than demarcato i haven't seen enough of carter to know what's up with that with him Uh, Yeah, he's playing behind. He lost time in the first half in the so-called still competitive phase of the game on Sunday to a guy that wasn't drafted and a guy that was you you know waived two weeks ago by a different team
1: yeah so maybe i am just being a little nitpicky here but i i agree that when i heard this and when i heard it in real time too post game from from jonathan gannon about the lack of touches and involvement from james Conner, it seemed to me that the response was really indicative about the flow of the game and i thought to myself yeah that makes sense in the second half about flow of the game but It was like the third possession of the game that Connor was standing on the sideline. And then especially we were kind of ticking down how many plays he wasn't even on the field. Then you go into that critical fourth and two from midfield. He was was finally back out there, but leading up to that, he wasn't. And that part to me, I'm not quite certain was part of flow of the game. I would have thought for sure, get him involved. Uh, To your point, we have seen his ability as a pass catcher and as a pass blocker when we've talked about it too having your best players on the field seems like a a paramount thing
0: there have been a few mystifying things with uh, you know decisions made by this coaching staff especially in the last three or four weeks and uh, to me this is number one on the list I have no idea Uh, certainly didn't seem to be any injury here going on with him at the time I have no idea. There is. N- I'm never going to be convinced there's a good answer as to why he was not in the field.
1: Sometimes I just kind of like when we're sitting next to each other in the press box, I just say things and it's like not necessarily directed at you. Sometimes it is. Sometimes I'm just kind of like talking out loud to myself, but I think I'm I turned at to you. I, I think <laughs> I turned to you at some point in that whole process. And I said, is he on a snap count still? Because, you know, obviously coming yeah. back from IR, uh, you know, maybe he was still on a snap count, but it's been several games now. I, I wasn't quite certain. And that hasn't been an answer in any of these direct directed questions about Connor's uh, you know uh, accessibility thus far. That's
0: true and I don't know if it's been asked if there's a snap count so I might have missed it but I don't think I remember there being a question about that at least in the last couple of weeks here
1: though you also mentioned Michael Carter here Petzing was asked about him uh, he is that third running back in the running back room that now includes Connor De Mercado and Carter here how did Michael Carter play in Sunday's game uh, just for some reference points he did have four carries 19 yards in that contest Petzing said I thought he did a nice job stepped in you saw some of the explosiveness you saw some of the dynamic ability really pleased with him towards the end of the game with pass pro opportunities he had it's not easy thing for a back to do and I thought he stepped up and was ready to go
0: yeah I don't really pay attention to anything that happened in the second half of that game especially after it got really out of hand because the Rams had at least four or five of their defensive starters out of the game by then they weren't even on the field
1: uh, let's take a pause here. There's some other things to get into from Petsing in regards to uh, frustration about Kyle, uh, frustration about the three and outs. Assessing Kyler Murray's play thus far and some of the footwork changes that he's been undergoing. A look ahead to the Steelers and the defense that they'll be facing. And then if we'll have some time, we'll get into some comments from defensive coordinator Nick Rollis. So we'll do that on the other side of the break. It is the extra point right here on KDOS AM 1060. As always, follow along with us online at kdos1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app right here on this Wednesday, November 29th.
0: Interact with Bob Kemp's poll question on KDUS1060.com. That's KDUS1060.com. And while you're there, check out Bob Kent's bottom line at KDUS1060.com.
1: Wednesday, November 29th, Bob Camp, Kayla Mortolaro here with you up until 1 o'clock today as we're doing this week today and Friday, the Sports Zone with you on Thursday from 10 to 11, no extra point, but back on Friday for Friday spread brought to you by Von Hansen's Meats and Spirits. Continuing our Arizona Cardinals conversation and some takeaways from the coordinators who met the media yesterday, offensive coordinator Drew Petsing, Uh continuing here asked about the frustration with all of the three and outs. And he says here, I think the frustration is anytime we're not putting the ball in the end zone, myself, the guys on offense, I would expect them to be frustrated when we're not executing, when we're not getting the guys we want open, when the runs aren't hitting. I think the guys did a nice job of continuing to battle, continuing to fight, stay together, which I think is really important when you're not having that success. And we're going to put it together this week and try to fix that for sure. But I do think it's interesting something that you had said in the previous segment about, you know, the first drive having success. And if it's a scripted play and then not having success after that in a less sort of scripted sense, just kind of the the different, I guess, philosophies, if you will, if coaches do like to go in in such a scripted nature and those that kind of have that success versus those that don't and find their footing as the game goes on.
0: Yeah, and a lot of those scripted plays in that first, you know, fifteen plays that Bill Walsh made famous, or however many plays that uh, you know, coaches currently script, a lot of that includes motion and just you know different formations because they want to see how the opponent is going to line up against that formation or that motion. And then they can adjust during the game and, you know, make plays or try to make plays and big plays in some cases later on in similar motion and similar formations. So it's not just all, you know, trying to get boom, 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 drive down, drive the ball down the field and score points right off the bat. It's, you know, a lot of that is uh, trying to set up what the uh, opposition might be doing defensively for the rest of the game.
1: Absolutely. And you're talking about big plays here. Explosive plays is absolutely something that this Cardinals coaching staff talks about a frequency, uh, both on offense and defense, limiting it on defense and wanting it on offense.
0: Well, and unfortunately, they've had very few explosive plays on offense and uh, their defense has been awful limiting explosive plays.
1: So the question here is, how would you assess Kyler's play? And that was posed to offensive coordinator Drew Petzing yesterday. His response here, I think he's done a nice job. I think you're really seeing him embrace both sides of the offense, the run, the pass, just handling the operation. You know, certainly there is always going to be things when you're in even if you're in five, six, seven years of an offense that you're always going to be working on tweaking and changing. But I think he's made really nice progress. Has it been perfect? know and he'd be the first to admit that but I think he's getting more and more comfortable in what he's doing what we're asking him to do and certainly need that to continue as we move through the rest of the season I will combine this here with the question about how is Kyler's footwork coming along and he says here good again at times of it is most uh, not memorization it is the pass rush some of it is perceived pass rush so you do get sped up at times in the pocket every week we are going going to talk to him you were really good here with this footwork you can see why it worked and then hey sometimes you got away with it here and then other times it got got the best of you because you weren't quite in rhythm or you were a little sped up and it affected your progression and things like that
0: yeah, let's uh, let me break this down into two parts. To remind me, you get to the footwork here in a second when I ask what was the first thing. So I'll probably, you know, I'll try to remember that. But the first part of this is I highly disagree uh, with his assessment of Murray, especially in the last couple of weeks. I think that Murray is the biggest reason the Cardinals lost the game at Houston with some inaccurate throws and in really key times and some ridiculously bad decisions as to where the ball is supposed to go those are things unfortunately we've seen throughout a decent chunk of this, his career before he got hurt as far as the footwork thing this is the first time i've heard anything about this i'm not you know well versed enough about you know, footwork from quarterbacks to really understand what he's supposed to be doing certainly it's much different for him because you know it's not just every shot every uh, snap in a shotgun situation so that's got to be – there's got to be a thinking process for him probably still going on, you know, because he basically missed several months of not doing really anything football-wise. So that's got to be a whole different situation. You know, go back to college. Uh, I mentioned this earlier this week or you know, previous weeks for that matter. You know, the, the, the Kingsbury system and what he was asked to do – as a quarterback, was very similar to what he was doing at Oklahoma. So several years running, he did the same things. Uh, you know, that was it, it, that's what he was asked to do. And now everything's different. So like I said, the footwork thing. Maybe I missed it. I don't think I did. But yesterday is the first time I heard any extensive, or at least I recall hearing any extensive discussion about the footwork of the quarterback.
1: One more thing on the footwork here, question and answer wise, and then some things that I have as well on top of that. The question was, was the time coming back from injury the best time to change his footwork? And he says, I think certainly because he had time to focus on just that because he wasn't necessarily able to play the game, it probably sped up the transition a little bit. But a year ago, we had three guys who had really never done it in the quarterback room in Cleveland, and they jumped right into it in April and May and hit the ground running. I think it is something that when you commit to it guys are generally pretty quick to transition Uh, a couple of things about footwork
0: time time out on that real fast you know none of those guys in Cleveland were any good last year by the way
1: fair point um, so a question, a couple of things here that I have about this is, yeah, you so you're changing a whole host of things from mechanics from him footwork wise. So now he's maybe thinking a little bit about that, uh, instead of just kind of firing also footwork, I would think is the base of everything for, for yourself, which then leads to where your hips are going and pointing. Uh, and we know how good he is at certain, certain arm angles and, uh, being able to be on the run, et cetera, with just some pure arm strength that he has but from a pocket presence that's like a stability portion of things so if he's maybe thinking a little bit too much in footwork sense could that lead to some of the inaccuracy issues that we've seen in the last couple of weeks
0: definitely that could be the case i had a discussion about marie yesterday with somebody who has you know watched this you know fairly closely the last three weeks and, yeah, you know, we talked about, you know, a couple of the passes that were really short of the mark, whether it be on Sunday, uh, obviously the pass to Hollywood Brown early in the game, and then the previous Sunday where there were a number of passes that were short of the mark. That it would Murray, you know, I think the best thing that he did before the injury for the Cardinals or the best, you know, aspect of his game other than running was, uh, you know, the deep ball. Uh, the deep ball is like disappeared because it seems as if he can't get the ball down the field as much, or with as much uh, strength and accuracy. Certainly accuracy, but I just don't think it's going. Uh, it doesn't seem like it's you know going as far, out of lack of a better term. There's got to be a better term than that. You get, hopefully, you understand. Uh, but you know, and I talked to somebody about this yesterday who actually, you know, I, I've been thinking about this and mentioned it once or twice. Somewhere, I don't know if it was on this show or to somebody else, but it was you know just the fact that you know it doesn't seem like he's you know throwing the ball as much. And my 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 friend that I was talking to this uh, talking about this with mentioned it's kind of like a pitcher and major league like a spring training pitcher with a dead arm. I wonder if you know Murray is you know had to come back and you know, he's throwing. A, I assume he's throwing a whole lot here. Uh, and I wonder if he's going to go come, going through one of those dead arm periods that we hear about pitchers talk about in the spring training all the time. I'm just talking out loud here. And I did think that that I think that's a you know, possibility for sure.
1: One other thing I have about footwork and, you know, just kind of trying to think this through various different sports, et cetera. OK, so they're changing the footwork and it's part of the scheme of the offense for why the footwork needs to be changed but I'm just kind of thinking about like so quarterbacks typically have quarterback coaches that they work with in the offseason is that mainly just then working with throwing mechanics but I would think footwork is part of throwing mechanics so I guess I'm just a little um do they then just focus on the throwing mechanics that fit the offense that you're trying to run I'm I'm I guess you know in baseball right you have a pitching coach and the, they're the the people that help you on a, a day-to-day basis I'm thinking about it in golf like I had a swing coach even though when I played college golf I had an actual golf coach but she didn't help me with my mechanics so just kind of that portion of things I'm a little uh unsure of the, the footwork part of this and who's monitoring and helping him through all of this
0: well, you know, not necessarily this year, but I remember in past years he's often talked about his father being his coach, which at one time he was, uh, and his father was a college quarterback at Texas A&M in uh, the '90s, '80s, late, late '80s, I think it was in the '80s, actually, uh, you know, somewhere in the you know, with Jackie Sherrill, so it had to be in the, the '80s sometime in there in that area. But yeah, but he's talked about that, so yeah, I wonder if that's you know, if he, he's still being coached by his dad or to some extent some of those things so i have no idea like i said i don't know enough about kind of footwork with quarterbacks to really you know, i think intelligently make a you know a comment about this hopefully some of the other stuff i can use with more intelligence but not this
1: I do find that portion of things from yesterday enlightening and and brought some new things to light about what they're trying to do uh, with him and the scheme uh, and more. Well,
0: I'm glad you found it enlightening because I was just I was massively confused at the whole two or three question process there. I didn't know what the hell they were talking about.
1: Uh, more takeaways from Petzing, though, in reference to Sunday's contest as they are traveling to Pittsburgh to face the Steelers here. Uh, what do you think of the Steelers' defense? Petzing says, very talented defense. I think I said this. I thought I got out of that division, and here we are. Played them seven times in the last three years, obviously. Petting referencing his time being with the Browns. Played them seven times in the last three years. It's a really well coached group. It's the front seven, and you can name the top three guys. Their premier players are probably Hall of Fame players. They make the defense go, and they have for a long time attitude, effort, intensity, mindset, and physical execution. Certainly that's where the game starts, but they have some good players on the back end as well. Multiple coverages, multiple looks, a lot of pressures, like to get after the quarterback, and They like to stop the run. Stout, we are going to have our hands full in terms of the way we attack them, and have to be up for the challenge.
0: Yeah, I'm. I'm First up, JJ Watt, or which which Watt is this? I get all the Watts. TJ Watt. He's a Hall of Famer. Who are the other two guys? Hayward's really good, but Hall of Famer. And who's the third Hall of Famer here? I don't know. So I have no idea. Yeah, I was thinking about that while I was listening this Is he this maybe thinking also.
1: about past Steelers defenses? Uh,
0: I have no idea. So whatever. But, uh, and also a little prediction for when we get to this game in more detail on Friday. Uh, the Cardinals offensive line, which I continually talk about, has not been good. This seems to be a complete mismatch. The front of the Steelers defense against the Cardinals offensive line.
1: Uh, and it's going to be a game where Patrick Peterson goes up against his former team.
0: Oh, I forgot about that. So another revenge game for Patrick Peterson. Okay, how many revenge games can you actually have against a team?
1: Uh, I guess as many as you want to build up in your <laughs> mind.
0: <laughs> yeah, I guess that's true. It's, uh, I, I, not, I for, completely forgot about that. I'm sure I would have been rem- uh, remembered before Friday, but... Uh, but yeah, yeah okay well there you go and he's actually uh once they figured out their secondary and where the guys should be playing uh because they move some guys around that secondary from not necessarily just safety but slot corner and they you know zone and man and whatever seems like that uh he is definitely benefited from them you know, bas- basically putting them in a better position to succeed
1: and finally here uh petzing was asked you know because he has played the Steelers seven times in the last three years. Have you figured out how to slow down TJ Watt? And he goes, <laughs> no. Uh, and then he adds, when I do, I'll let you know. I think everyone has tried to find that answer. He's as good as there is. We talk about consistent consistency. He's been the model of that. When it comes to some numbers for T.J. Watt this season, he has 41 total tackles, 13 and a half sacks, one interception, six passes defended, and ESPN's pass rush win rate, 22%, double teamed 15%. That ranks 12th at his position.
0: I would think the double team would be higher than
1: that. <laughs> I thought so, too.
0: Yeah. Well, I would suggest the Cardinals try to double team him. Paris Johnson against he against Watt is just uh, not going to be good based on what we've seen from Paris Johnson lately. In fact, I'm to the point now where I'm wondering if the Cardinals uh, need to move him to guard starting next year because I don't think he can pass protect on the outside.
1: You know what? It's also a revenge game for Marcus Golden.
0: I didn't even know he was on their roster, <laughs> so I knew I knew it one time, but I completely forgot about that. So, revenge games
1: all around. Apparently, yeah. uh, we'll, we'll take your phone calls here, James,
0: James Conner Revenge game.
1: Absolutely, on the reverse side of it, you're right.
0: Yeah, and he w- and he went to the University of Pittsburgh too.
1: is the number if you'd like to chime in 602-260-1060 we'll take your calls now get to you on the other side of the break we'll also dive into much more from around the nfl quarterback discussion uh inspired by the athletics mike Sando. we'll do that on the other side of the break it is the extra point here on kdus am 1060.
0: Check out KDUS AM 1060 on 100.7 KSLX HD 2. That's right, HD Radio on 100.7 Channel Number 2.
1: 11.42 right here on KDUS AM 1060 on this Wednesday, November 29th. Bob Kemp, Caleb Mortillaro here with you up until 1 p.m. today as we typically do Mondays, Wednesdays, this week again on Friday. We'll be back with you for Friday spread brought to you by Von Hansen's meats and spirits. If you'd like to join in the program, you can 602-260-1060. Inspired by the athletics, Mike Sando, uh, he put to be- together uh, an article here about the quarterback future of all 32 teams. We were not going to go through wow. all 32 of them, but certainly some that caught my attention and how he yeah, broke six, it.
0: Like six, 16 of them could be like dismal, <laughs> Could be the quarterback future of these teams.
1: Yeah, I you know, obviously there's a lot have been made about quarterback play and the state of the NFL in general with comments that Tom Brady made on the Stephen A. Smith podcast and then Alex yeah. Smith refuting it on Sunday night count or Sunday uh, morning countdown, whatever the, the morning show is on, on Sunday to get you ready yeah. for the NFL games. And then, of course, I'm on the
0: I'm on the Tom Brady side there, by the way. Uh, by far
1: yeah so it's interesting that Alex did that though because he was sitting in a room of two guys who played with Tom Brady and Randy Moss and Teddy Bruschi and then he was also sitting in a room with Rex Ryan who coached directly against Tom Brady when he called the the division that Tom had played in for years and years and years like below mediocrity so there was there was a lot happening there
0: Okay, I didn't even know that uh, Alex Smith was on that show. Okay, so I don't watch the pregame shows anymore because I don't really learn anything.
1: Uh, So when it comes, though, to the quarterback future of all 32 teams and how Mike Sando from The Athletic broke it down, uh, he broke it down into different tiers. And so there's a tier one all of in itself here. And it's no surprise who that one in lone quarterback is Uh, in tier one is not for one second. Do you consider trading him for any other quarterback in the league? And that is Patrick Mahomes with the Chiefs. He has had three Super Bowl appearances, two wins in Mahomes's five years as a starter this particular season we have seen uh, the defense be the tone setter as opposed to the offense but you could also say that this, because of some of the challenges that they've been facing offensively, uh, that this could point to just how incredibly important Mahomes has been, the value in his ability. Uh, also, what he's been doing with his legs at times this year, he already has 53 carries, 305 yards, 21st downs. All of last year, it was 61 carries, 358 yards and 25 first downs.
0: I would assume that Andy Reid would prefer that he runs, le- uh, prefer that he run less the rest of the year. Um, there's been a couple of times this year that he's taken off that I thought he was going to get crushed. Uh, and he did one time get crushed. I don't remember which game specifically, but I was kind of surprised that he continued in the game, quite frankly. Uh, but you know, certainly the offensive line, not just the tackles. I continue to point this out. You know, the stud three guys inside have been good but not dominant by any stretch like they had been last year, for instance. And there, nobody's dropped more passes than anybody, any team in the league, than the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, most drop passes, and I can't imagine this has changed too much in a week. I mean, they had like, you know, seven or eight more drop passes for the season than any other team in the league before last week
1: tier two from this list is a top tier quarterback signed to a long-term extension and you wouldn't trade him for any other quarterback but patrick mahomes and number one on this list i'm curious what you think here just also based upon the season that he's putting together josh allen with the bills statistically right now it's a top five season for him despite really what's been a rocky year and uh, what their record currently is what the playoff situation looks like for them if you look at his season 68.1 completion percentage 3,214 yards 24 touchdowns 13 interceptions 15 sacks he's run less this year 62 carries 342 yards nine touchdowns and 32 first downs
0: I'm just mystified that people, even after Sunday, I know he had some great numbers and whatever, but the two key plays of that game he screwed up uh and the in the loss to Philadelphia and they scored a hundred thousand points and got a bunch of yards or whatever. but the game was on the line, and he didn't perform he had you know whatever happened in that uh, the the play with with Davis and who read that wrong, whatever. But, you know, before that, you know, they had a one-score lead and he threw an awful interception in the fourth quarter of that game that put them in danger of losing that game. Yet, I see the, uh, you know, Dan Orlovsky, the athletic podcast I listen to, uh, they just come out on Monday and, God, he was great. I'm sorry. He screwed up and it's one of the reasons they lost the game.
1: Tier two continued. Uh, Number two on this list is Joe Burrow with the Bengals. Uh, Sando says two injury shortened years in the last four years, but it doesn't change. Uh, how he is perceived here as the quarterback position and that teams would happily trade for him. But maybe if those injuries strike again in 2024, it'll start to impact things here. I think, though, if you just look at what this offense with Cincinnati is with and without Joe Burrow, even if you look at what this offense was with and without Joe Burrow and the calf injury that he had to start the season and then as he was starting to get healthier, how it was improving.
0: No, I, that you know, I don't think you can argue with uh, that assessment. Even though I will add that this offensive line that they put so much money into the last two years is still not that good.
1: Number three, also really curious to hear what you say here is Justin Herbert with the Chargers. The Chargers ranked 31st in defensive EPA per play this year. 31st in offensive rushing success rate so everything is always on Justin Herbert the offensive line hasn't been very solid for him either here I'm just curious would we have a different evaluation of him should we be rooting for a different coach to be able to have a full assessment and a full evaluation of Justin Herbert
0: yeah, and I'll add uh, one thing. Yeah, obviously, we've gone through the San Diego coaching situation frequently over the last three years. So no reason to rehash that. We're certainly not in the Brandon Staley corner to be the head coach. And I thought I should have been fired after his first year. And also, I think we've seen enough now that Kellen Moore, uh, it's amazing how Dak Prescott's having the best year of his career after Kellen Moore left. And uh, he hasn't solved Justin Herbert. Uh, or got the most out of him, they still suck in the red zone. Herbert still sucks in the red zone. What has changed? And I'll disagree with the offensive line thing. He's definitely playing with a, less of a full deck there, and he's had some injuries at wide receiver. Looks like the Johnston kid from TCU is just not any good. Uh, in fact, he quit on a play last week, and I believe he was benched, even though they said he was, like, hurt. But I don't think – you know, maybe he was hurt. Sorry, I shouldn't dispute somebody's uh, – injury assessment, but just like he he quit the play, and he like mysteriously didn't play most of the rest of the game.
1: Um, You know, maybe to back up your point here on the defensive side of the ball with the play caller, Brandon Staley, 31st in defensive EPA per play, and then to your point about offensive coordinator and maybe the success in quote-unquote balance that Mike McCarthy wanted to bring to the Cowboys this year when he took over play calling is 31st in offensive rushing success rate this year with the Chargers.
0: Yeah, I'll say one more thing about Kellen Moore too, because you know, kind of going back to Dak for a second, is it seems like this has happened at least the last couple of weeks, and I think maybe longer than that. Dak seems to go out of his way, either at his Wednesday press conference, if it's a if it's a Sunday game, Uh, I guess he had a press conference yesterday because they play tomorrow. I didn't see any of that, but you know, he's mentioned after the last couple, at least the last couple of weeks. Uh, that you know, he's never been this, uh, you know, comfortable in an offense, and how the coaching has been great, and you know, I think some of that is directed at McCarthy. I every time he says something like that, I think that's a slam at Kellen Moore
1: we'll get into tier three on the other side of the break this is inspired by uh the article from the athletics mike Sando, tier three coming up as we wrap up our number one of the extra point right here on kdos am 1060 as always online at kdos 1060.com and with the kdos 1060 app we'll do this next on the other side of the break
0: download the ktus am1060 skill and enable say, Alexa, open KTUS AM this is
1: where i start my day Here on KDOS AM 1060 in the Extra Point. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortillaro here with you. Continuing the inspiration from the Athletics, Mike Sandoz. uh, Quarterback of the future for all 32 teams. We are not going to make it through all 32 teams. But we're continuing on here with Tier 3. Which happens to be upper tier quarterbacks. Signed to long term deals. And everyone seems happy with their situation. Number one uh, in this tier and I think everyone is happy with this situation. Jalen Hurts with the Eagles. Uh, he is 26-2 and two in his last 28 starts. We could go down the path of whether or not wins is a quarterback stat. But there is definitely plenty of belief in Jalen Hurts on the roster from the coaching staff. You have the tush push being completely automatic at this point. His running ability and his escape ability uh, is pretty uncanny in addition to that though I don't know if some of the offensive uh, issues is solely on him this year or if it's more of a change in offensive coordinator and, and play calling
0: I think that's a legitimate question I do think that some of it's on him because he's already got a career high for interceptions and one of the reasons that they keep uh, having to come back to win these games in the fourth quarter is because he's made some not so great plays early in the game that kind of put them behind entering the fourth quarter
1: number two on this list curious what you think here after a tumultuous offseason the deal got done and it's Lamar Jackson with the Ravens have you been impressed yet with the new offense and the being able to overcome some of the injuries especially at the running back position before the season even gets started
0: and the offensive line all season uh, I'm not exactly sure about this offense yet. They're winning games because of their defense, however. that's That's been clearly their best unit. And, you know, the one of the most surprising things to me, I'm not going to say the most surprising because I'll think of something in the next statement or something, but I think the, the the most surprising thing to me about the Ravens has been their their pass rush, which was – A monumental question before the season started. How are they going to get a pass rush? And uh, all year long here, they've been among the league leaders in sacks. Uh, And they've really, that's why they're winning games. And they're always good on special teams. they got to kind of put defense and special teams together. But to me, that's why they've been so successful. And right now, the number one seed in the AFC.
1: Uh, one more in this tier to round out things, Dak Prescott with the Cowboys. We touched on him a little bit before the break oh, since we
0: got well, yeah, we got to get to this in the second hour.
1: Okay. Yeah. I will I, pause. I got I got,
0: st- I got yeah. this stuff say, I got stuff to say about the Cowboys.
1: All right. We will pause, bring it back in hour number 2. We'll also uh, open things up for your phone calls around 1215 602-260-1060 is the number.